1: Have our first feel-good story of the tournament. This is the Arsenal Vision Euro 2020 Daily. My name is Elliot. It's Blackman on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. That's right. Denmark is through, and I think I speak for everyone when I say we are really happy about that. I mean, I guess probably not everyone because there's probably some Russia fans and and Finland fans as well who probably don't feel great about that. But all things being considered, Denmark getting through is is the first real feel-good story of the tournament. Uh, after a tournament that started in the feel-baddest sense possible for them, and uh, I just think everybody has to be pretty excited about what happened today in those late games, and we will talk about that, and, in fact, the early games, and Ingerland playing tomorrow as well. All of that with Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil.
2: Hello, Elliot. Nice to have you back.
1: It is is nice to be back. I mean, is it really nice to have me back? Don't answer that. The fact is, I am back, and there's no holding me back. Now, if you missed it, we did an hour and 40 minutes on transfer rumors today. It's on this main feed, and the title of it is How to Value White and Madison. So you can listen to that. We are also launching a shop merch. That's right. You can go to avpodshop.com if you want, which is Arsenal Vision Podcast Shop, avpodshop.com. Or you can just go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com and click the shop link. Um, Brandon McKenna, who's like the most incredibly talented designer, uh, I was like, hey, can we get a mug for that bingo card the guy made? And We'll do some fun giveaways, and we'll, we'll have a fun little contest with the bingo mug. And he's like, sure, I can do that. And then I looked, and there's like 40 products in there, because he just kept designing beautiful logos and clothes and all kinds of stuff. But if you want the bingo mug, uh, you can get that. And Phil, we're going to do like fun stuff where if you send me an email with the episodes that you use to fill in your bingo card, uh, we will, you know, with, with a picture of your mug, we'll send you free shirt. Sound fun?
2: There we go. I'm, I'm ready for some Bingo.
1: Merch, merch, I was told merch is a thing, you have to have merch, so I was like, let's have a mug, and now I've got like 30 things, I gotta buy them all, because I gotta be wearing them, I gotta be out swagging them for the Vegas event and all that, but uh, I blame Brandon for having an incredible eye for that stuff, and the store is brand new, so if you have any feedback, let me know, because I just built it, I'm like, let's see how this works, so very curious to see what you think. Anyway, let's crack on with uh, the feel good story of the tournament, the way it played out was really fun. I don't know how we cover this chronologically, um, Phil. It doesn't really set up for our for our format well. So let's do this. Let's step outside the format just for a second and talk me through your experience of watching the way this played out. Because there was a moment there where Denmark wasn't through, and then they were through, and then VAR took them back out again, and then VAR put them, and then and then Lukaku put them in for good. And so the the timeline of it was pretty interesting. You want to just sort of talk me through your experience watching those two games play out?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I was working. Um, so it's not easy to write match reports and on two games at once. And then obviously you're trying to keep an eye on the permutations and the goal difference and who's going in if this result happens and then what happens if this result happens and you're kind of just all over the place. And then obviously you're trying to watch two games of football. So um, it was just kind of mad, especially the last sort of half an hour, should we say, of, of the second half for both of these games and it was just you know I found myself really cheering for Denmark and um I genuinely like shouted and fist pumped when they when they scored the third goal like I was a a fan in the stadium you know I was really engrossed and attached with with them and their story so I just really enjoyed kind of every minute of it and like you said you know I, there was one minute where they were through, and then there was an offside, and then you know Russia got back into the game with a really soft penalty, and I was thinking like, surely not, this is not going to happen now. Um, but you know they pulled through, and Belgium did their job, and yeah, it just kind of made Mission Impossible possible, you know, and it was just everything that you watch football for.
1: I have to ask. I mean, Denmark dismantled Russia, and it it is a pretty embarrassing end of the tournament for Russia, but. I mean with Denmark winning 4-1 I think at least it has to be asked especially as uh, I think you'd have to say you know pretty good they were against Belgium in that second game that was really interesting sentence structure I went for there but but bear with me so I mean could Denmark do something I mean I I know you know losing is terrible but they they obviously have this this sort of motivation I guess you'd call it you hate to reduce it to that obviously it's so much more than that but the feel good factor going for them and They've looked pretty good the last couple of games other than, you know, the Finland game, which is understandable. So is there maybe more to be seen from Denmark than than maybe we appreciated?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can kind of write off that first game as uh, unique circumstances, should we say, after, you know, what happened with Ericsson and then having to come out less than an hour afterwards and, and trying to win that game was just a joke, really. So. Um, But as you said, even though they they fell slightly short against Belgium in the first half, they were brilliant, you know, and that kind of gave them the formula about how to approach this game, how to attack this game. And, you know, after maybe a nervy first 10 minutes when Russia had a couple of good opportunities, um, there was one particularly through Golovin when Kasper Schmeichel made a good save. But after that, it was just all Denmark. And, you know, it was like just constant wave after wave of attack. And then when the ball broke free for Russia, they were like snapping into tackles. And honestly, the atmosphere was so electric in the stadium and you really could feel that, you know, it was like transmitted through even on TV. I mean, I'm miles and miles away and I could really feel my, you know, an attachment to what was going on in there. And and as you said, it was just a a demolition job, really, particularly down the left-hand side, um, with Mikhail Damsgaard kind of floating over there, and Joachim mela, um who had an excellent game at, at left back, kind of left wing back, you know, and Russia did just had no answers, and it was honestly one of the best games I've watched in a long time, and I really, really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they had ten shots on target, sixteen shots overall, but let's not forget, I mean, against Belgium, you know, De Bruyne comes on and makes a big difference. They outshot Belgium twenty-one to six. Um, they're pretty close to even in possession as well. They they were more than just plucky in that game. They they were good, and you know Belgium's quality showed through in the end. But I, I definitely think that now we can move away from just the feel good story with Denmark and talk about a team that maybe has some mileage in this in this tournament that they can go. And we'll we'll see how that shapes out. But in terms of Belgium, they get the job done uh, a little bit late, but but done nonetheless. I mean, look, we know at this point that Romelo Lukaku is very good. I don't think we need to cover that anymore. He had you know, another goal, Rudolph, for an absolute razor-thin uh, offside, a very Premier League lines on the pitch feeling offside. But you know, they, they win 2-0. The, the question I have is, is Belgium settled, or is there still a question mark? I mean, they, they rotated for this game, but one of the players that rotated in Uh, obviously Eden Hazard. And I I think the question I have for you is just, has he made an argument for being in their knockout game or is he probably going to be just used from the bench?
2: I mean, for me personally, I think it would be wise to um, bring Carrasco back in. I just think Mm. in terms of how they both finished the season, Yannick Carrasco was uh, kind of a key figure for Atletico who won the league. And Eden Hazard wasn't even playing for the last six weeks. So, you know, I think in terms of that and their overall sharpness and, and their influence for me, Carrasco should come back into the side, but it's what we've spoken about before, even though he may not, you know, even though Hazard may not look as sharp or as, you know, uh, sort of dribbly and ready to take players on as, as we've seen in the past or how we remember him at Chelsea, for example, he can still produce a moment of quality and, you know, even though we we may be seeing his star like burning out a bit, this is still a very talented player who can change something at the, you know, the the click of his fingers. So, I think it was good to get some minutes in his legs today, as it was with, with some others. I mean, Jeremy Doku, uh, a young player from Wren, uh, kind of a really exciting wide player, had another interesting game for them. He was very bright, particularly in the first half. So look, it's a squad game. And after a long, hard season, you need everybody um, that, you know, ready to come in and ready to contribute. So I think even if he's maybe not taking such a starring role like he normally would, um, just having someone of that quality, maybe minus some some pace and explosiveness, is still very useful.
1: Mm. Let me ask you. uh how did it feel to see Thomas Vermeilen rising highest on a set piece to head in? I mean, granted, it's a, it's an uh, own goal from the keeper, but it, is it possible that he'll still be scoring goals at like 40 years old? He's, he's 35. It feels like he's 45. Um, but he's a center back who just has an eye for goal, isn't he?
2: He does, yeah, and it took me back to, mm. well, maybe not my youth, but you know when I was a lot younger and going down to the Emirates Stadium, and I remember when he first joined there was like this crazy purple patch when he was just scoring from like 30 yards every week.
1: Am I crazy for Um, saying he had like an eight
2: goal season for us or something? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he had like some really nice finishes in his locker from the edge of the box. And I really enjoyed him because he was, I mean, we found out he wasn't that good in the end, but that first kind of 18 months he was there, I was like, who the hell is this? You know, he's just Mm. come from nowhere and he's scoring goals and challenging and you know, it was, he looked really nice for us, but unfortunately it didn't work out. But for sure, I know the goal today was was a bit lucky when it ricocheted off the post. But I mean, as you said, he kind of got up highest. He he was the one that headed it down. And obviously it just ricocheted off the keeper and into the back of the net. So yeah, it was a nice nostalgia hit. And obviously you mentioned Lukaku, who just looks kind of untouchable at the moment. So yeah, I mean, for sure, Belgium will, will be quietly fancying their chances. And I, I feel they have another gear to go maybe, um, especially with De Bruyne kind of edging his way back in and, and the midfield looks much more settled with Axel Witzel back in there now. So so yeah, I think for sure they're another contender and we just have to hope that we get to see some of these big guns up against each other because those are the games that, you know, get people up for the tournament.
1: How many players are there in the world who are better than Lukaku right now?
2: Six? <sighs> Seven? I mean... five. I don't even know if it's that many to be honest. Um how about
1: this? How many are bet how many in this tournament?
2: I wouldn't I wouldn't say many. I think he's definitely in the top three there on form and just how he passes the eye test, I think for he sure looks he's
1: unstoppable, Phil. It's just yeah. crazy. Like, and I realize the goal, the goal he gets allowed today. Like it's bad defending that the, the, the mm-hmm. defender kind of lets him roll. But it reminds me of a, a power forward in, in NBA basketball, just posting up against a guy and he's too big and strong for the defender to know where to be. And once he's sealed off like that, it, I don't know how you defend that.
2: So not like Ben Simmons yesterday then?
1: No, no, not like that right. kind of NBA player. No, <laughs> no. Uh, to be, to be fair, I think, um, Lukaku scored from as many shots as Ben Simmons did yesterday. So there you go. There you go. Um, it's
2: efficiency. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's what you call a crossover episode. Um, but but seriously, I mean, he just, he looks unstoppable. And I think maybe you'd put Mbappe in the class, you know, who still, you know, is, is above is above Lukaku. But at least in this tournament, I don't know who else would be in there. I mean, Le- Lewandowski, I, you're right, maybe. But, like, that's it.
2: Yeah. He just looks so quick, strong, sharp. You know his his touch is strong. I mean, obviously the the goal that was disallowed today was such a nice move. He brought it down brilliantly, um, and he just I don't know he's the the level of improvement has honestly left me like um, astonished because I always knew he was a really good striker and the numbers spoke for him. You know, I mean nobody could deny that he um, he knows where the goal is. But in the last sort of twelve months, he's just reached an incredible level and he's a genuine joy to watch. Um, Every game, maybe not in the traditional, wow, this guy's technique is amazing, but in terms of pure, sort of brutal striker play, there's, like you said, maybe Mbappe ahead of him, and that's it. I mean, he's just hitting all the right levels at the moment, and I'll be pretty amazed if he doesn't get a few more in the rest of the tournament.
1: His pace is what surprises me, because you look at his physique, and you think there's no way he can get it going that fast. It it takes me back, I think, wasn't there a game maybe at Everton where he like I think was played out on the wing and just destroyed us yeah. from the wing.
2: <laughs> Nacho Monreal. Right yeah, yeah. He's probably still having nightmares about <laughs> that one. You're
1: not yeah. expecting to see Romelu Lukaku out there against a fullback. But I mean, that's no. that's what he can do. He can just destroy you in so many different ways. And um, I'm enjoying watching him. So, well, those were the uh, the late games actually. And, and with Belgium and Denmark through, I mean, I guess the only last thing we need to say um, about this group now is Belgium look every bit the world number one team. I mean, they, they may not be the best in this tournament. I, you know, I know FIFA rankings are always a little bit of a joke, but uh, seven goals for one goal conceded nine points, a, really a perfect group stage for them. And and no reason to change your opinion that they should be right there as one of the the absolute favorites, right?
2: No, no, for sure. I mean, they're, they're definitely up there. And I think it's a really nice moment for them because some players are, you know, reaching... Uh, peak form for example like De Bruyne and Lukaku but they've also got a nice blend of youth and experience around that and I think they've been with Roberto Martinez long enough now to kind of know what they need to be doing what kind of system they play and yeah they just look you know really good they don't look troubled Uh, I don't think I've really seen them that troubled at all in the tournament apart from when Denmark kind of um, blitzed them for that first half an hour but yeah, they look really good. And I think um, nobody will want to play them in the next round because um, they look kind of comfortable now. For sure, I see them going up um, a couple a couple of levels. So they're definitely going to be up there.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. How about the, the early games? And again, I'm... Um Sort of breaking from our traditional structure here because when the games are played mm-hmm. at the same time and and some have more meaning than others it's a little it's a little tricky to try to shoehorn it into that structure so we'll just kind of go freeform a, a little bit today the The early games for you today i mean anything anything to write home
2: about Well, I think the Netherlands again you know qualified with with maximum points mm. um, they just look completely different now that they're sort of enjoying this new three at the back system. Um, the fans really didn't want it heading into the tournament. They even flew a, a banner over the stadium asking for a 4-3-3, but <laughs> DeBoer, you know, he's sticking with his guns and, and, you know, he's been proven right with each passing minute, you know. They are such a fun, open, expansive side and I have no idea where it's, <laughs> where it's come from because this was not the case before. They're kind of like the reverse Turkey, you know. Mm. Um, they've just I don't know what it is maybe playing in Amsterdam has given them a, a, an added edge um, but I don't know they just seem to be so fit and fresh but also this system suits their players I mean Dumfries has had an amazing tournament Gini Wijnaldum yeah. yeah he's kind of enjoying this freedom that he doesn't normally get for Liverpool you know the back three is always going to be impressive with guys like DeLict, Ligt Daly Blind you know Stefan de Vrij and these kind of positions and obviously when you can kind of uh, rotate Memphis, Daniel Marlin, and, and Vekhorst up front, you've got a nice blend of attributes there. And, you know, I think they've surprised a lot of people. I mean, they certainly surprised me. I, I didn't really give them much of a chance, but I think I owe uh an apology after what I've seen so far.
1: Mm. Any uh, bittersweet quality watching Daniel Marlin start for the Netherlands up front, knowing that uh, it could have been an Arsenal interest there, but instead uh, it is not? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of regret. I mean, we've we've seen it already with with Ismael Benacer as well a mm. couple of times. But you know, you, yeah, there's going to be players that leave. I mean, it's not on a on a Chelsea level where they've lost De Bruyne, Lukaku, and, and Mohamed Salah. So, you know, it's it, it's just what happens at big clubs. You know, sometimes you the pathway is not clear and you lose these guys. Um, but you know, it's I'm kind of pleased for him in one way because he's he's gone back to the Netherlands and, and played a lot of football, which I, I don't think he would have got anywhere near the minutes he's had, let's say, if he if he stuck it out at Arsenal. So, you know, I'm really pleased for him. On one hand there's a, a lot of regret coming from me, but you know, it's it's just how it's happened. So really really pleased for him. And actually today he was really useful in how they how they broke so so openly against such a high line. So um, especially his role in the first goal was really good. so if you could, if you haven't seen it i would I would go and watch the highlights back because he he looks kind of electric on the break actually
1: yeah well well let's let's talk about Ukraine, Austria because Ukraine's had a weird tournament. I mean, they start out in this real barn burner against the Netherlands, a three two loss, but where they were real frisky. and then you know they they go ahead and and beat North Macedonia in a game that was really surprisingly fun. And then they lose to Austria, and I don't really know what to make of Ukraine or Austria, but you know, Ukraine probably eliminated as a result of this result. And uh, just a weird tournament, right? Because at times, they looked really fun and potentially dangerous, but today they were outplayed and, and probably wind up crashing out as a result of it.
2: Yeah, completely outplayed. I mean, I was really disappointed with Ukraine today because... I just kind of talked myself into enjoying them and believing in them. Um, and then they turned up and completely, you know, they looked overwhelmed by the occasion. They had no idea on how to hurt Austria, who were actually pretty good after their, their little system tweak. And I'm sure we'll get onto that quickly. But, mm. you know, uh, you know, Ukraine have a lot of likeable players, particularly in the forward areas. As you said, they've, they've shown a lot of... Um, sort of excitement and they've, they've been really fun to watch, but they just did not get anywhere near those levels today. And I was really disappointed because I thought this would be a chance for them to really make a statement after their impressive, uh, qualifying rounds. But yeah, they just did not get anywhere near those levels. And I was really disappointed actually.
1: The back three has been sort of all the rage in this tournament to some extent, you know, with teams using it to great effect, like Germany against Portugal and, uh, the Netherlands in general, and again today. The back three maybe not as effective for Austria, and a problem for them, David Alaba playing basically sweeper, not the case today in a more natural position, able to get forward as a fullback is sort of what I saw. Maybe I saw it wrong, so you can correct me. But is, is that the tweak you wanted to talk about and the, the impact it
2: made? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was clear to see that, you know... First of all, I would just like to say that I could understand why they played Alaba as kind of the sweeper in the first couple of games, because um, essentially they were relying on Alexander Dragovic and Martin Hinteregger to be the, you know, the defenders, and Alaba kind of had freedom to step forward, and you know, the plan was for him to dictate play, but he was just completely nullified by their, you know, f- by that system because. Even when he was progressing the ball, it was just kind of coming back, and there was no kind of connection or outlet for Austria to to pursue after that. You know, he would get the ball into the middle, and then there was no one else after that. So, having him as a as a left-sided outlet, you know, it just gave Austria another edge. And what really surprised me today was the consistency of his uh, end product. I mean, cross after cross was coming in, whether it was a dead ball or from open play and they were just all on the money, like literally everything was he was basically screaming to the attackers like please get in and, and throw your body at this because they were all in such dangerous areas and even when he had kind of drifted inside he was linking nicely with the midfielders and and you know Yarmolenko did not get a touch today and that was testament to him not only being a danger going forward but also in his defensive work and I just think he's such an excellent player but also what they did so well was get the best out of Konrad Laimer and Marcel Sabitzer, um, and particular uh, and particularly Florian Grillitsch, who came into the midfield, and those three were just such a nice uh, sort of combination, particularly with with and they finally managed to utilise all that talent because, you know, they they have such a good side, you know, that maybe you don't get much star quality, but if you look man for man, these are like huge names in the Bundesliga. Um, you know, playing for Leipzig, Wolfsburg, you know, Bayern Munich. These guys should be winning the midfield battle against a lot of these sides, and they just weren't. But the system today, the little tweak brought the best out of everybody, and they were really good to watch. So um, I think for sure they'll be pursuing that moving forward.
1: Yeah, well, I I think that makes sense. You want to get the best out of arguably your best player. So we'll see how they manage that. Now, I think we can leave it there with those groups um, because before we get out of here, I I do want to look ahead to tomorrow and that is England's group. Um, It is an interesting situation for England in that they are, I mean, I, I think certainly through, although technically still can finish anywhere from first, second or third in the group. And based on matchup, I guess that would leave them a date with either France, Germany, Portugal, or I don't know how the third place matchups work out, but so, there's still quite a lot for them to play for, although I'm not sure how you would rank who you want to face in the next round. It's unclear what will happen in Group F on the last day. But, you know, I think the first little cracks showing, you know, in, in England, the, the way the tabloid media handles them and complaining about stuff. Um, and to be fair, I think it's worth complaining about because, it, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not an England supporter, Phil, so it's, it's hard for me. I realize people don't necessarily care about my opinion on this topic, but I think what I would say is the Croatia win was probably played up as being better than it was uh but it was functional and Croatia is considered a good team and it, it seemed comfortable enough the Scotland game was pretty dour um there was a bit of that horseshoe of death passing going on and i think the player sort of taking center stage for some of the criticism for some people would be harry kane who's sort of dropping in and you know playing that false nine role at times hasn't really produced anything he's not getting shots he's not i think he had seven passes and and no shots, or seven passes and one shot against Scotland. I don't know, Phil. I mean, I, is is the real issue whether Harry Kane has a right to the striker position? Is it overthinking it? Is it, is it about getting, you know, a, a different creative player like a Jadon Sancho in the team? What does Southgate have to do? You know, I, I think in general, his lineups have looked a little more functional than dynamic. So where are you with what England has to do? Because, let's face it, this next game against the Czech Republic, is a chance to get back on track. There's no more testing after this because you're going to be facing most likely someone like Germany or France or Portugal and you got to absolutely know your best approach for that game. So, do you view this as an important chance for Southgate to really get it right before the the tournament begins in earnest for them?
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, it's what you said um I think this chance, this game is a is when he has to kind of nail down his preferred 11. Um, I completely agree with what you said about the Croatia win being overblown and even though the the draw against Scotland was was not ideal I don't think it was a terrible performance or result it was just kind of meh um you know I think he, his true colors showed you know in that second half when he was slightly more conservative than than what people maybe would have preferred him to be or would have liked him to be um so that's you know that's been done now that's been analyzed to death so Maybe now this game against the Czech Republic is an opportunity to, to mix things around a bit, and and if he doesn't, for example, then he can kind of show people that this is the eleven I like. This is what we're trying to do. I guess it's kind of been thrown into a bit of chaos with all the coronavirus fallout, because he's obviously missing Mason Mount for the game. May, um, maybe right?
1: Is it confirmed?
2: Maybe or? yeah. Maybe, they're going to have to and Chilwell to check. Yeah, Mason Mount and Chillwell. Um, you know, they're going to, I think the, the final call is, is tomorrow morning. Um, so obviously it's just, for me, Mason Mount has to play. So um, it's it's going to be quite a, a strange one without him, but it also gives him an opportunity to try some other players. Maybe if he's out with, with Jack Grealish, for example, or Jaden Sancho, the mythical Jaden Sancho that he doesn't want to use, you know. Um, it is so, bizarre. Yeah, for yeah, sure I mean,
1: in, in your mind, Harry Kane, though, I mean, look, I listen to your podcast with Paul and I just want to go on the record that I am disgusted with the extent to which Paul felt he had to defend Harry Kane. And I want to understand what's behind that. I assume you were too. Uh, do you want to get it out and off your chest now that he's not here, that, that it, it sickened you to hear him praising and defending Harry Kane to such a strong extent?
2: No, I mean, I, to be honest, I have no issue with Harry Kane for England. I mean, I I despise him for Spurs, but mm. um, for me, he's kind of always been Southgate's guy. He's always been the go-to guy and he's the captain, golden boy. And obviously that gets kind of annoying when he feels a bit untouchable. But I mean, if he's fit and if he feels fit and if the fitness team judge him to be fit, then he's going to play. Um, and that's just how it is, unfortunately. Um, maybe it's worth going you know, slightly different sometimes with Dominic Calvert-Lewin or, you know, a, there's a potential to play Marcus Rashford up front. But for me, that's just not going to happen, you know. And, um, you know, this is, it'll be typical of Harry Kane now to be criticised all week. Everyone's kind of gone off the board on him and then he'll go and score two goals, you know. and It's just typical. It's what he does. Um, so I'm not crazy about him. I'm not down on him. He's just there you know because he's the captain the golden boy Southgate's go-to man and I think he's going to start again but I wouldn't be totally opposed to Dominic Calvert-Lewin playing because I think he's going to be sharp and wanting to prove a point um but yeah for me it's unthinkable for for Kane to be dropped if he's he's fit what about
1: someone like Henderson coming in for Declan Rice or something I mean I'm not a huge Declan Rice guy I know he has a little more defensive work I think Phillips you know Crash back down earth a little bit against Scotland. How do you think he could reshape the midfield to get a little more out of that?
2: Yeah, potentially. I mean, with Henderson, it all depends on his fitness. We don't know how how much he's trained or uh, what kind of shape he's in. But there's also Jude Bellingham, you know, and everyone keeps talking about how it's such a big step for him. And, um, you know, this guy was 17 and he was a regular in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League. You know, this is, if you're good enough, you're old enough. It's very cliche, but... For me, he's more than good enough to be in that Totally mid-fielder.
1: different player from Rice, though, right? I mean, yeah, you're, you're getting a totally absolutely. different set of skills. And the irony is, could be perfect for the Czech game. Does that leave England too vulnerable when they come up, though, against the likes of a France or a, a Germany?
2: For sure. I think in those kind of games, you kind of need a more defensive presence. Um, and Declan Rice would be absolutely fine for that. But I just think if you want like a little bit extra from the middle... Maybe if Henderson's not fit, you could drop Phillips back. I mean, he's he's done that role more than enough for for Leeds, and just give Bellingham that opportunity to run box to box because he's an absolutely ridiculous athlete. You know, he's seventeen years old and he he looks like a man. Um, it's quite ridiculous. What you know, he's so broad and his energy and his you know he's just such a talented player. And I think he could really bring something else to this England midfield. So um, I would I would love to see him start, to be honest, but I, I don't think. Um, you know, Southgate in his naturally conservative ways will uh, will do it. Um, even though I'd love to see it, could
1: you see this going sideways? I mean, this this game, shick, you know, from from halfway again or something, something crazy like that.
2: <laughs> well, the thing is, Czech Republic are going to be pretty high on on confidence, and they have a sort of a team that scraps for everything. Um, You know, they've got Suchek in the middle. They've got Sufal as well, who's also at West Ham. I thought Thomas Kalash was excellent um, in the last game at centre-back. You know, they're just kind of scrappy, physical players who could really frustrate England. And for sure, I could maybe see them um, sort of blocking a barrier up and saying, OK, we're here now, you have to break us down. And And as you saw against Scotland, England kind of struggled with that. So maybe that's why I think Southgate could be brave, and take away Declan Rice from the middle or or maybe if, Ma- if Mount's not available, then really go for it with a Grealish or a Sancho and just get some people who run at plays, you know, just because it was far too conservative and maybe the Czechs won't like that. But, you know, you, you can't underestimate them because they're a big threat and particularly with Patrick Schick in this form. Um, I'm sure they don't want to give him any space to do damage because, as you can see, he can score with his left, with his head, you know, even from 50 yards with the keeper stranded. So they're going to have to be careful. But I'm backing England to to come through, even though it's going to be a close game. I think
1: if England can batter the Czech Republic a bit, um, you know, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I mean, I guess if Czech Republic batter England a bit, um, there is a path to getting through for both Croatia and Scotland. Uh, a little easier for Croatia than Scotland, but there would have to be a win and potentially a comfortable win. Does that game set up to just be completely wild because both teams need a potentially comprehensive win to get through?
2: Yeah. It's difficult to say because... um, Sorry, I've completely lost my train of thought there. Well,
1: I mean, I'm looking at it here. Let me read it out. So it's four points for the Czech Republic with a two-goal difference. Four points for England with a one goal difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One point for both Croatia and Scotland with minus one and minus two respectively. So a winner in that game can finish on four, level with the loser of the Czech-England game. And if Mm -hmm. that loser is heavy enough where they get to a zero goal difference or even a negative goal difference, I mean, England's potentially could happen, I guess. Um, Then a a big winner in the Croatia-Scotland game could move into second place much easier for Croatia than than Scotland but it could happen yeah. it's really all to play for essentially and i just sort of wonder if that sets up for you know a potentially exciting game because both teams need to not just go out and win but potentially you know put some goals on the board and give themselves a chance based on what happens in the other game
2: yeah for sure i think it could be two exciting games as you mentioned i think croatia will you know have a point to prove um, particularly after the kind of underwhelming first two games, should we say? Um, and Scotland, obviously, they'll be buoyed by their um, good result and uh, against against England at Wembley. So they'll be like fully up for it and ready. I know Billy Gilmore's a big a big loss for them, um, but it's just how it is. You know, they're gonna have to cope without without him, just as they did in the first game. So yeah, I mean, even the Czech Republic and England, there's there's always going to be that breath down the down the back of the neck. You know, there's there's no room for complacency at all because, as you mentioned, even just a couple of goals for Croatia, and you know, England maybe um, leaving it late against Czech Republic, and things could get very hairy towards the end there. So for sure, England will want to to try and wrap things up as quickly as possible because even the idea of finishing third would. Would be uh, terrible for them. So um, I think it's nice that we kind of have some jeopardy at the end. Even though I was kind of against this third place going through um, sort of rule. Is that is that what you can call it? A rule? Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. So yeah, we we'll see. We we'll see. But yeah, for sure, I think it's going to be two exciting matches of of football.
1: Say Germany beat Hungary, and France and Portugal draw. Germany would top Group F, and France would finish second. Mm-hmm. Would you rather? face, uh, let's actually, no, I'll make it harder. Let's say France beat Portugal and Germany beat Hungary, and France tops the group and Germany is second. Nope, Mm. I'm going to do it the other way. Gosh, I'm an idiot. (laughs) I had this all figured out, and then I doubted myself. So yeah, so Germany beats Hungary and France and Portugal draw. Germany tops Group F, France finishes second. Would you prefer England draw the Czech Republic tomorrow, but as a result of that, get the winner of Group F, Germany, or beat the Czech Republic, but as a result of that, get second place France. How do you, I mean, do you have a strong feeling about what's better for England in the in the first knockout round?
2: I mean, there's been a lot of debate about this actually in the, in the press and people were saying, you know, it's 4D chess from Southgate that he's trying to finish second so he can get an easier <laughs> yeah. draw and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And for me, it's just kind of ridiculous because nobody plays that way. <laughs> I just don't think you can take the risk Everybody goes out to win their games, right? And I just feel like whoever you get is who you get. But which um,
1: would you rather? I mean, which? let's put it this way. Because here's the way I look at it, right? I think you'd rather play Germany than France, marginally. But I, I, would I think say the negativity so, yes. of drawing to the Czech Republic and finishing second in that group and the way the media will react to it and the disharmony it causes in the camp and the pressure on Southgate and the pressure to change the lineup may destabilize them more going into that game than beating the pants off the Czech Republic and, and drawing France, but with a little bit more harmony in the in the team and a little more sense of, of identity.
2: Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, it could easily work that way. But for me, if you're going to be like true contenders, if you really fancy yourself as one of the favorites, you're going to have to play some of the big teams eventually. And I just think, you know... Um, you're, you've done your job by getting through and whoever you get is, is who you get. That's how I look at it personally. I think people get too caught up in finishing second to play this team or, or momentum and stuff like that. I think it's perfectly valid reasoning and thinking. But for me, it's kind of just like, this is who you've got. You should prepare for the team that you're playing. And and that's it. I think if you're, as we said, if you're going to win the in the tournament, you're going to have to beat some of the big boys and France, Germany, you know They're the big boys, so yeah. um, for me, that's how I see it.
1: Fair to say I'm curious to get another good look at England tomorrow because I think right now, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Belgium, all teams that look stronger than England at this moment. Mm-hmm. And before the tournament kicked off, I think it would have had England maybe above at least a few of those teams as, as a favorite, and not to say that they can't still do it, but as it stands right now, I think you'd probably have England solidly behind those teams I mentioned,
2: wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, it's just two games. I don't think that's... Yeah, it's, it's still difficult to tell because we haven't seen the teams in, you know, a lot of different positions, you know, whether they have to come from behind or whether they're trying to break down a defense. It's There's so many variables and, and a lot to play for with injuries and, you know, who could bring in to the side afterwards. So, you know, it's, it's still very early. But I think after three games, you can kind of, kind of see what the team's about so like you i think we're going to learn a lot from england tomorrow whether it's good bad or both
1: yeah and i i'm willing to bet there will be a little good bad and both <laughs> so uh we look forward to that well i look forward to doing this with you tomorrow because uh yeah i'm really curious to see what england produced and we're starting to get to the fun end of the tournament so more to come uh, you can find phil on twitter at underscore phil costa thanks phil
2: Thank you very much.
1: My name is Elliot Smith. And back me on Twitter, Andy Gunner. Thanks for joining us for these, and and don't forget to listen to our main Arsenal Vision podcast that's out now, 100 minutes on transfers, because of hashtag clicks and numbers and all that good stuff. In any event, uh, it's Ingerland tomorrow, so we'll be back to talk about that tomorrow. But remember, wherever you are, and whoever you support, it's coming home.